Hawaii in history, this is Noetta Harjo with the Real Indigenous News. Erica Tremblay's Fancy Dance is finally coming to the big screen. Apple Original Films acquired the global rights to the film and plan to release it in theaters and on Apple TV Plus this year. Fancy Dance made its debut at the 2023 Sundance Film Festival. Tremblay co-wrote and produced the film that stars Lily Gladstone, Isabel DeRoy Olsen, Ryan Begay, and Crystal Lightning. This is Tremblay's directorial debut. The live-action reboot, Avatar The Last Airbender, will debut on Netflix on February 22nd. The cast includes indigenous actors such as Casey Camp Hornick, Gabbard Dio, Amber Midthunder, and Irene Bedard, just to name a few. And last week we got the trailer for Mary Margaret Roadgrader from George R. R. Martin and directed by Stephen Paul Judd. The short film is an adaptation of Howard Waldrop's science fiction short story, which is a future post-apocalyptic indigenous tale. Following the highway wars with no horses and power that is fought for using heavy machinery. The short film stars Martin Sinsmeyer, Crystal Lightning, and Cody Lightning. That's it for the news this week. And remember, don't just keep it real, keep it real indigenous. Hello and welcome to Real Indigenous, where these indigenous people get real about what's on our screen and everything in between. Uvanga Angela, and with me today are... Ali Chimichukma. This is Tully. Hello, this is Matt Bars. This Jay and Hawaii. This is Noetta Harjo. Thanks for joining us. And today we're going to talk about the next two episodes of Echo. So episodes three and four. I'll read a quick recap from Geek Girl Authority. So war comes to town in Echo episode three. In Tuklo, Maya faces the consequences of her latest actions, but her family could end up paying the price as well. So this episode opens in the late 1800s with a really cute, I thought it was cute, newsreel about the history of the light horse. Tuklo wants to join her father as a light horseman, but he tells her no. But she goes ahead and learns how to shoot and how to throw a stick really well. And so in the newsreel, when all of the light horsemen are in trouble, Tuklo shows up and saves the day. Fast forward to Chula and Scully in a really nice scene between Tandu Cardinal and Graham Greene in his shop where he was like speaking Choctaw. How did that, how'd that work out for you, Tully? Graham Greene's accent. Good enough. <laughs> oh, Graham Greene's accent? Yeah. Oh, I guess it, it didn't stand out for me like some of the others. And I might be just forgiven because it's Graham Green and same <laughs> with the Tantu Cardinal. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so you got to have the respect. And so I didn't really like try to be judgy on it. I guess the only thing like when Mark talked about was like when he says uh, Tushka instead of Tushka, that kind of irked me. <laughs> Side note is, yeah, this is the second time Tantu Cardinal has played a Choctaw person. When she said Tushka in that movie, she said Tushka. <laughs> oh, really? What was the other Choctaw role? Sh- shouting Secrets. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Chula and Scully have this conversation in his shop about not wanting Maya to bring all of the trouble here to Oklahoma. And Scully kind of yells at her and tells her that she needs to listen instead of pushing Maya away. Vicky gets a phone call from Zane about Maya. Zane is on his way to Dahama. Is that how you say it? 
Yeah, we should probably back up a little bit and explain who Vicky is. Vicky works for Henry uh, at the skating rink, and he's the one who called Zane in the first episode or texted Zane to let him know that Maya was in town. Yeah, he's the guy that was spraying the disinfectant in the skates. Mm -hmm. Right. The shoe cleaner. The shoe cleaner. So he's looking to make a, a quick buck by turning in Maya to get the reward money. And then Zane is on his way to pick up Maya. It doesn't take long for Vicky to find Maya. She's walking near a lake. When she senses somebody nearby, she sees Chaffa and someone grabs her, knocking her out with chloroform. And then we wake up and she's hanging upside down where the disco ball was in the skating rink. There's a lot of stuff going on. We'll talk about it with the big fight scenes. Bonnie shows up. She's knocking around trying to get in to the skating rink. They capture her. They're in the room with Maya. Bonnie's so surprised to see her. And they try to have some conversation. Fast forward. They get out. There's a big battle. So they make it out of the skating rink because right as Zane is about to shoot them all, the phone rings. And he answers the phone and they all just walk away. Super weird. So Maya walks Bonnie back to her truck. Bonnie wants to call the police. Maya says no. She promises she won't let anybody hurt Bonnie. She tells her that they'll talk later. And there's a whole lot of promise, promise, promise. And then Henry remarks that there's only one person that could have called that off. And that was Fisk. And Maya's like, no, I shot him in the face. That's the end of the big fight scene. Next day... Her grandpa shows up, gives her her new leg. It's really cool looking, but it's engraved with some Choctaw symbols. She's like, no, she wants something simpler. And he goes on to explain about how she should represent her people, pulling her back into community, talking about her responsibilities. And she's like, okay, I'll take it. So then we kind of close up with Maya riding around town, seeing all the people that she cares about, but doesn't, but pretends she doesn't care about. And the whole thing closes with the congregation singing a Choctaw hymn. Which hymn was that, Tully? Do you know? I am not remembering right now. I'm trying to look it up. But um, it's kind of a hymn of mourning is how I remember it. M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. I I thought it was 114, but let me see. Y'all keep going and I'll get back to it. If not, I'll talk about it next episode. Okay. So then, of course, the big surprise is she gets back to her grandma's house or her old house. And... There's Fisk standing there. In the credits, I, I would for the first two episodes, I saw Chris Truillo's name, and I thought, how does that look? That looks so familiar. And he did the production design on Stranger Things, and that really showed with the uh, roller rink fight scene, just the, the colors. It, it felt like a Stranger Things. It felt like something out of Stranger Things. Yeah, it had a real retro vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then just seeing... My inaction using the uh, the arcade games as as weapons was was really fun. And just uh, everything about like the the music, how they would the the sound, which they they've been doing that off and on throughout the series, but how the sound would cut in and out, kind of from her perspective. Yeah, just a, a really fun sequence. The fight choreography was really great. I thought. Mm-hmm. And once again, it was, you know, it was uh, fluid. You could tell, you can tell what was going on. It, it didn't have any annoying, like, cutting all over the place. It, that You could kind of follow what was happening. Yeah. 
I kind of laughed at the end when Henry was trying to clean up. I was like, nope, you're not going to make it with just the broom, dude. <laughs> and what are you going to do with all the bodies? I'm still not seeing, I mean, I, I guess it's more violent to that. I mean, it, it's, it, I'm, I'm still trying to understand the mature rating because I'm not, I don't think that it, it needs that still. Maybe it, maybe I'm just wrong, but it feels like it says it's more action heavy and it feels as violent as maybe any other Marvel movie, but I'm, I guess there's some blood you know, that uh, what's his name gets shot uh, shot in the back. Yeah, when Vicky gets shot, it's a pretty mm-hmm. gruesome. Scene. Yeah, yeah. That's the only thing. I mean, I'm like you. I was like, oh, <laughs> this isn't anything different than I haven't seen in any Marvel movie. No, agreed. I mean, I don't. I don't think it seems that extra. I mean, it's not like Jessica Jones or Daredevil. Because those are those got kind of violent, right? Yeah, and yeah, I guess f some f bombs and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was part of the disappointment of some of the fans because, you know, they claimed that this was going to be a mature show, but it didn't really, wasn't up to par with violence of Daredevil and especially Punisher. Remember how Punisher was just like crazy balls to the walls, action and shooting and all that stuff. I mean, just by by her nature, she's, I mean, in, in the kind of the street level world of Marvel, that's kind of a violent world anyway. So I guess maybe they're just trying to. Well, I think they really established that her character comes from a violent world. In the first episode, you know, with her going back to how she became, came into Fisk's empire, I guess, if you want to call it that. You know, it, it really established that she, you know, she's been fighting her entire life. She learned how to fight. She is always, you know, fighting people who don't, you know, know she's deaf and treat her differently. So it's just, I think it just solidifies that, you know, she, she has it a heart. She has a harder than a lot of people. And, so that's why she's constantly ready when things like this happen. You know, she did not lose her cool once in in any of those scenes. And, you know, when she got captured and everything, she just looked around for resources to get out and to, to free herself. So I think that's really, really um, evident in, in this episode, you know, that she's always ready for something like this. She she was expecting it even. That was kind of cool seeing her. Did she modify a... Uh... A skate? I think it was a skate and like yeah. a laser laser tag laser. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was that was very uh creative of them to have her make her own gun. Yeah, it took me a minute to figure out that they had a laser tag course back there. Because well, I didn't even seen it before they didn't that. Even, but... uh, yeah, they didn't even mention it until the lights went out and they were like, Oh yeah, the breakers in the laser tag room. It's like, oh, that's where she got the laser from. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is probably my favorite fight scene my favorite, the sequence because um, because it did show you know how well prepared she was it, even in an unknown setting and how she could um she could have beaten all of them but it also shows you know her weakness um in her family because as soon as she sees bonnie she lets down and gives up because she doesn't want bonnie to get hurt you know so it's like you see that you see that contrast between her strengths and her weaknesses kind of wish Devery had more to do. They've established her as a, I guess, a firefighter. Or EMS so or something. And yeah, well, yeah. I guess I thought firefighter for some reason. I just, I, I don't know. It just seemed like she was just, I, I wish she had more to do. That that was my kind of, my only complaint. Yeah, I think we talked about that in the last, last episode that we feel mm-hmm. like there's some that's been cut. Yeah. Because, you know, originally it was eight episodes. So, you know, I just wonder if they didn't expand her role initially and then we got we missed out on some uh i'm going to roll back to the 
the newsreel real quick. That was neat how they did that, though, because you don't really see. I mean, you do see kind of it's usually comedic when you see like those old reels like that, you know, those Mm -hmm. old timey silent movie type reels. And this one was really telling a really good story. And so and you don't really see um, indigenous people win in those reels if they're a part of the you know, they show Western uh, stories. So it was really neat to see that. And you certainly don't see women. Yeah. Be the hero. Mm -hmm. Well, and I I thought it was interesting that this was the second modern telling of a history through newsreel because that's what killers opens with i don't know if it's just a, a really quick expository thing or an effort I mean, to show we've been here but i like it i think it's succinct can, can you imagine an indigenous like an um, indigenous made silent film that would be ridiculous oh there's a lot of them is there like indigenous made like today's yeah. people really yeah. oh you mean like today yeah, or like from if it, somebody from from now made it one, like an entire film like that. I mean, they that could would be weird. Daughter of the Dawn, or I mean, there's, there's yeah, I knew Dawn. The, there was a whole bunch. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that there were films in the past made by non-indigenous people about indigenous people, like Daughters of Daughter of the Dawn. But um, I don't know. I was just thinking if somebody like Sterling made one today, how weird would that be? It'd if be, Matt made like, one. If Matt made one, like, how weird yeah. would that be? <laughs> you could do it like Mel Brooks. Yeah, something funny. <laughs> it, I mean, I the actors would have to be very expressive, you know? I mean, they are anyway, but to not have any lines and to, to you know, express that emotion all in your face, that, that would be wild. And if you do that, Matt, I want credit. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Story credit. <laughs> uh, you got me you got me you got me thinking oh really <laughs> yeah. uh, well if anybody could do it matt could yeah you should do it matt mm. or i should do it <laughs> <laughs> yes you could do it too yeah i'd, I'd have to have, sit down like for an entire week and just think of a story because it would take me that long to figure it out i have no time anyway <laughs> That was really neat, though, in Echo, how they did that. I was, I was, it was, because you remember I said, you know, when I saw the first episode, but I was a little taken back because I was like, am I watching the right show? You know, I wasn't expecting a creation story. So it was really neat how they, how they change up the beginning. And and I know it has to do with progression of time, and, but it's also, it's just really neat to see something from the past that doesn't show us as victims. And to show how long Light Horse has been around. Right. Yeah. Just something a lot of people didn't know. Yeah. Because Indian Territory was a crazy place. Still is. Still is. Still is. According to some governors. Mm-hmm. According to some governors, we're, we're uh, out of control. Uh, but <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was really awesome. And I think the one thing, I mean, we knew I think we knew Fisk was coming. This is going to, sorry, let me go back into the fast forward. Uh, I think we knew Fisk was coming because, you know, we saw him in, in the previews talking to Maya and everything. I honestly thought she would go back to New York because there were some scenes that looked like she was in New York. Seeing him there in in her Oklahoma home, it's like, you know, his, to me it was like, um, I didn't think he was there to kill her. I knew he wasn't there to kill her because his resources weren't all there. So... But I know that's what she thinks is that he's there to kill her. Which, I mean, we can go ahead and jump on to 
episode four. If you guys oh, wait, I, I I just uh, real quick, I was also really excited to hear Samantha Crane at the end of oh the, yeah, the, that, I hear that voice and I I just I get really excited when I'm hearing hearing her in television and in movies. It's, mm -hmm. it's uh, it was that was a great moment also. That was, and it's an amazing song that's all in Choctaw. I, mm -hmm. It was beautiful. It's such a beautiful yeah. song. What is it called again? I think it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look it up. Go ahead, Samantha. I mean. Uh, Angela. <laughs> Sorry, I'm typing and talking at the same time. Let's see. Oh, and we do have a note that the hymn was a song of sorrow sung at funerals, according to our resident Choctaw. The song is called When We Remain by Samantha Crane. Good job, Samantha. It's nice to hear our Oklahoma artists get featured. Okay, episode four. Guess who's here? Fisk. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, Maya reaches a turning point in her journey after a visit from Wilson Fisk. This episode is directed by Sydney Freeland, and it's kind of, it starts with a flashback to when Maya is coming out of school and wants an ice cream. And I think everybody saw this in the trailer. I remembered it from the trailer. It, mm -hmm. that, you know, he teases her, and then Fisk gets out of the car and pulls him into the alley and does horrible things to him, and then. He doesn't want Noia to see it, but she comes around the corner and then starts kicking the guy, which I thought was kind of, I thought it was funny. I mean, it's not, but it was kind of funny. Well, Fisk then, liked it. That's for sure. Yeah, he <laughs> oh, did. Yeah. He did. He, they share a lot of anger about fathers. So I think this is where we kind of learn more about how, how they connect since his father was dead or was killed. Her father was killed. They're both very angry people and use that anger to funnel this violence to, pe to people, on people. At this dinner in his penthouse, there's an interpreter and one of their Sunday dinners. And then after they have this conversation about how she's ready to join his, his group, he dismisses the interpreter and, well, that's the end of her. <laughs> I like that they already had the plastic up. And we can hear her like begging for a no, 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 bam. Note to self, never be an ASL interpreter for Fisk. Then we flash back to, or we jump back to Oklahoma and Fisk's men shove a contact in Maya's eye. I don't know how I feel about this. It's kind of innovative technology, but it makes it able for her to watch an interpreter, an AI interpreter sign what he's saying so that they don't have to have a human interpreter which is interesting and it kind of speeds up a lot of the dialogue right it's a really marvel thing too i mean that's firmly in the world of like tony stark and just all the inventions that that are resources that are available in in this world um it, i mean it feels appropriate appropriate for fisk too because he and she says it later on in the episode um he, he can't even bother to learn ASL. He's grown up right. with, with her, and that, yeah, that's kind of kind of why I agree with her. Short short answer. <laughs> I, you know, he's known her since she was little, and he hasn't bothered to learn ASL. Where her entire family in Oklahoma know how to communicate with her effectively. Her community, her home community, does. So he tries to recreate this Sunday dinner back in Oklahoma. So they have a conversation and he's really sad that she shot him and they sit down. She pours out a really nice wine. 
<laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> but part of you was also like, oh, he's poisoned the wine, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she was expecting him to to kill her, so. Uh-huh. He wants to give her everything, but she has to go home with him. And he's li- leaving for New York the next day. So then Maya stay, goes to- yeah. What's that? Staying at the Choctaw, and he stayed at the Choctaw Casino. Yeah, they did. So Maya goes to the skating rink to tell Henry about Fisk's visit. Henry knows that she can do it, but he doesn't want her to end up like Fisk and like him and like Henry. He says he's alone because everyone he loved was taken away by Fisk. After William died, Henry tried to get out from under Fisk's rule, but Fisk threatened to kill him if he did, which is why he came to Oklahoma, even though he still does his dirty work. Maya isn't so sure that Henry is concerned for her. Henry left Maya alone in New York when she was not okay. He says he was sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) And now all the, everybody's been planning for the big Choctaw powwow begins. So they're setting up. Tula is helping a visitor set up. She sees visions of Chaffa, Loak, and Tuklo, and then sees herself as a young woman. And Maya is having the same vision They both see the cave collapsing and Chaffa holding it up. Henry is worried because Maya's eyes roll back in her head. And like, I don't know what's, she looks possessed. I thought she looked Mm -hmm. possessed. And so he drives her to her grandmother's house. And then Henry's like, you've got to go talk to her. So she goes in and her grandmother has a plate of cookies sitting out. Maya's not having it. And so they start talking about these visions. And Tula goes into this whole long story about how she gave birth to Maya's mom and in the middle of the woods with the midwives. And it's like this whole thing. And that basically just to boil it down, it's because they have this matrilineal echo running through them, which gives them the powers that they have. An unbreakable connection between mother and child. Her grandmother is like telling her about how angry she was when her daughter was killed and how much she didn't like her father. And then, so they have a bit of a reconciliation, but well, they try to, but then Maya's like, look, you left me alone and you chose yourself. And then Maya like beats it out of there. So Chula goes to her sewing room and she pulls the sheet off of this dress form. And there's like this outfit making that she's been making. I was like, when, when did we find, find out that she was a seamstress? I don't know. I was just kind of like, huh, okay. And then, so in the midst of setting up for the, the powwow, she's making this outfit. And then Biscuits is still trying to get that that truck fixed. Which, why was that in there? Do we know why that was in there? Anyone? There was just a montage of the the family and kind of, you know, while uh, Chula was working on that that suit or that that dress or whatever, um, you know, Bonnie was in her kitchen. She was just really sad because she hadn't heard from Maya. And Maya was like, you know, kind of checking in on them. But Biscuits, you know, it was just an montage of all of them and kind of what they were doing and feeling at that time. But that will play in later why why they, uh, in the in the final, why Biscuits was at the junkyard at the time and, and what he was doing. Oh, right. Maya goes to Fisk's. Oh, my gosh. I know, it's hard. <laughs> Biscuits. Maya goes to Fisk's hotel room, pulls a gun on him, and he said he expected her to come kill him. He always thought of her as a daughter. And remember, they only had each other. She's like, no, it's all been lies. Like a child fantasy turning a monster into a hero. 
Fisk said she knew what she was part of. She killed a lot of people for him and never pleaded for their lives. So who's the real monster? Maya's like, no, you isolated me from everybody and convinced me that you were the only one that you could, that I could trust. And he failed. He feels like he failed her the same as his father failed him. And he finally confesses up, fesses up about how his dad died, which I thought that was an interesting story. And the fact that the ball pink hammer shows up like a present <laughs> and, and you know you're like okay and so she picks up the hammer and then she's like no I'm not gonna do it I'm not gonna give you the satisfaction and so the next morning Maya's ruminating through all of the things that's been going on all the people that she cares about she thinks she cares about that she thinks doesn't care about her da 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 Fisk is on the plane his private plane waiting for her when he gets a call They've lost Maya. Then he's super mad and he bangs his head into the pet plane. And then that's episode four. <laughs> this definitely has a lot of issues. <laughs> and it's very evident in this episode, which we knew that, you know, going into the show. But he has abandonment issues. He has control issues, you know. And uh, if he doesn't get his way, he throws major temper tantrums, which we see at the end of the episode when he rants his head into the plane. But I thought, I, I felt like... You know, Maya's anger, it, it honestly felt like there was no getting past it. You know, she also has the same, well, not the same, but she has abandonment issues from her family because they lost all contact with her when she moved to New York. I Maybe not all contact. I know Bonnie had her phone number. Um, she felt like people were abandoning her left and right after William died because Henry went back to Oklahoma. So you see that they have a lot of this, you know, similar anger issues you know, just different circumstances behind their anger. And so I think this knowing he didn't, he knowing that Maya didn't really have anybody, he did manipulate her, those abandonment issues and made her feel like he was the only person she could rely on. And, and it's almost like he, that was always his plan was to make her his heir. He just did it in a really weird way. Yeah. I wondered about that too. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. So seeing their dynamic and i mean from the beginning when you you know you see her as a little girl he wanted this connection to be what he wanted it to be and you know he manipulated the situation with her and then when she finally you know grew up and realized what he was doing he continued to manipulate that like tried to gaslight her into thinking that she was wrong in in how she felt about him and stuff so those control issues there you know it's just amazing to me because he can control anybody. He controls so many people, you know, that work for him, but he can't control the one person that he wants in his life. And that's Maya. Well, and given the fact that, you know, he grew up in a like domestic violent situation and mm-hmm. an unhealthy home, then yeah, that's kind of how he's used to interacting with people. Yeah. That he considers yeah. family is by manipulating them. And the fact that she has these roots in the community that he still hasn't been able to clear out is mm-hmm. becoming more obvious to him and frustrating, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it but was, this- why would you, I don't know. It was weird that he wanted her to kill him with the same hammer. Was it weird? That was weird. I thought that was weird. Yeah. Oh, just, I, I kind of wish in the, uh, in the graphic novel, in the comics, they, and I, uh, uh, I mean, there's a lot of reasons that they could have omitted this. I mean, it's it's Maya's story. 
But you actually see his childhood. They show him with that hammer and show him in action. Like actually, you actually see that play out. So I don't know if that would have been more effective to see it or if that would have taken away from Maya's story. And again, maybe we maybe it was shot and they just didn't use it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, maybe forcing her to use the ball hammer to kill him would officially replace him with her. Mm-hmm. She would be the same as he is. Hmm. Yeah, that was his thinking. But yeah, on on the other end of that spectrum, you know, her her family drama that's going on. You know, it's almost like she has to choose to whether be she wants to be like Fisk or she wants to be like Chula. You know, there's a struggle there. And, you know, her her anger issues are she doesn't want to be like either, you know, because she's just angry at both of them for different reasons. But Chula, I, I just kind of felt like she was really cold towards Maya. You know, yeah, she was angry at William for what happened to um, her daughter. But, you know, that wasn't Maya's fault. But she still kind of projected some of that that hurt and that anger onto Maya. Oh, li- like, living in the cold. dynamic personally, I can assure you that that is a true thing. That it's just interesting this, to see it, you know. Yeah, and it kind like, of echoes all of the other Disney, you know, mother granddaughter issues that they've been dealing with in in different media lately. Sorry, Matt, go ahead. I know, like she she was being cold in their conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Until she started talking about you know the generations of of these visions and these women mm-hmm. and who they are, and then that, that felt like that's where she kind of warmed up and yeah talked about her own story in the first time she saw their faces uh, to me was like, Oh, I want, I mean, I can see how that was important to, to Maya's story and knowing, needing to know why she's having the visions. But I just felt like it was kind of cold of, of a, it was almost, it was selfish. It was, it was just showing Chula's selfishness mm-hmm. and how she brought the story back to be about her and not about Maya. Yeah. Which is what Maya pointed out when she said, you chose you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, those are just a couple of things that stood out to me. You know, moms and daughters, we have very complicated relationships. Yeah, and, and I, I agree with that. You know, <laughs> I have to agree with it. But <laughs> when it comes to grandmothers and granddaughters, you know, I, I come from a very loving grandmother, granddaughter relationship. So it's very different for me to see, you know, that dynamic between Chula and, and Maya. Because for me, from from where I come from, grandmothers... My grandmother was had a very, very loving and you know gentle way of of raising me, helping to raise me. So yeah, it's just different. But then again, Chula didn't get that opportunity because Maya and William moved to New York when she was younger. So she just didn't have that closeness that like Biscuits has or that maybe even Bonnie has with Chula. So which and we didn't really see those dynamics at all. But right, exactly. Other than she knew what Maya was doing in New York and how she was taking after her dad. Yeah, because early on she's like, I don't want this here. Mm. But yeah, I remember how like Biscuits is afraid of Tula at, because of the truck. He, I mean, he's afraid of her from the beginning. Maya doesn't have that. She's not afraid no. of her at all. No. <laughs> yeah, I think episode four moves the story along. I think that's kind of the point of this one, right? I think it. I think it moves. I think it just comes to the crosswords where she just has to decide what's more important to her. Because the whole time she's wanting to bring down Fisk and take over his empire, but then she finally sees some value in 
her family dynamics there in Oklahoma. So she just kind of has to come to, but she also, it's not even really choosing whether or not she wants to stay in Oklahoma or she wants to go back to New York. It's whether or not she wants to continue this life of violence with, with Fisk, or if she wants to protect her family and leave, and you know, just leave, just leave everything behind. And that's what she chooses to do. She decides to leave town and that way she's protecting her family and getting away from Fisk. Well, it's interesting that he, he gives a backstory that only goes back maybe what one generation whereas Tula gives a backstory that goes back to the beginning mm-hmm. in, in their line and, but, and by the way yeah anybody who's on the powwow committee is not going to be sitting in a sewing room sewing while the powwow is getting set up <laughs> they're going to be out there pulling their hair out basically <laughs> <laughs> even if you do have Dallas and Jana setting stuff oh, yeah. up you're still going to be in the middle of it <laughs> We didn't really talk about them when they showed up in the last episode. So I thought it was interesting that Jana Jan is so awesome at playing, you know, these character player these characters that are kind of busybodies. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I thought she was I mean, I laughed whenever I saw her because she's she's just that one that, she's that one relative that wants to one up you. <laughs> I was really glad to see them. I wish that they had had more screen time. I feel like there was oh, another yeah. storyline with them that kind of got cut. Yeah, it was yeah. Just a, big, a big old tease getting back together for the scene, and then it's kind of it. Yeah, they didn't. They they really should. I wish they would have done more with Devery, with Jana, with Dallas. You know, there's these are people and names that we know before this series came out had seen their work. Uh, so I don't know. I feel like Disney could have done a lot more with them. That could have been a whole subplot, just setting up the the powwow, and, and mm-hmm. maybe maybe it was. But yeah, it just feels like that's that. that that element's kind of missing also. And that would have raised the stakes for the final episode, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they definitely. delved more into the tiny tots, you know, setting up, getting dressed, setting up the booths, making the fry bread. <laughs> There's this kind of weird cut where Tantu's at the powwow and then it just cuts to her watering plants in the next scene. Did anyone, was that weird to anybody? Yeah, just, I, I didn't. Yeah, I thought that was like, weird. She just there was no like it just it's, she was just casually hanging out at the house when um Maya shows up at this weird transition. That makes me wonder how long Maya was in her trance. Yeah, because they made it look like Chula was having the same vision. Uh-huh. Yeah, they were. Right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's what was so that's what threw me off. Like, wait a minute, what? Yeah, I'm watching it right now, and Maya's eyes are rolled back in her head, and Chula's just staring off in the distance at the powwow. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But then she's home. Boom. Yeah, yeah. And she's watering the plants. <laughs> so maybe she just zipped on home and <laughs> was waiting for Maya. Well, Henry called her, so he must have called her when uh, he started getting worried about about Maya. So I know he called her. Okay. But at the same time, you know, like, is this something normal for Jula? And she just kind of snaps out of it. You know? <laughs> no big deal. Yeah, no big deal. Actually, probably. I mean, you know. <laughs> When you have those senses, you it kind of just kind of, at first you're like, oh, kind of freaks you out. But then you're like, oh, here it comes. Yeah. But, you know, she also mentions that these visions or these ancestors come to you. They have a way of knowing when you need them the most, but they don't always show up like all the time. They're not always there all the time, but they know when they need to be there. Maybe Chula's had a few more, you know, reasons to need them. But also these visions didn't start happening to Maya until she got to Oklahoma. So. That's true. I mean, but we didn't spend a lot of time with her and Hawkeye, other than 
fighting. Yeah, it was just her trying to take out Hawkeye. You don't like spend like I need to rewatch that. I guess. Yeah, she her her main objective was finding Hawkeye and killing him. Ronan, she, she Ronan, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she found him a few times and he got away. So yeah, it was basically a chase, a, an entire chase episode for or series for her. So yeah, everything's getting set up for the big episode five. We don't know where Maya is. Everybody's getting ready for the powwow, and Fisk is. We don't know what Fisk is going to do other than be mad. We know that generations are echoing. They are reaching out also. It's going to be a good episode. I just wish that it was more than five. <laughs> I know. I feel like we've yeah. missed out on a bunch. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure why. But we'll never know. But the numbers seem to be good. So Yeah, there's a good response a lot, I mean, that I've seen like on, on social media from our indigenous peoples here in Oklahoma about about the show, a lot of sharing of, you know, the Choctaw Nation uh, stories about the show. I've seen it all over the news, too, here in Oklahoma. Yeah, that's awesome. So we'll remind our, our listeners to help those numbers, keep watching it, keep re-binging it. I've seen it twice now on Disney+. Plus. I'm going to watch it on Hulu next just to increase those numbers. Oh, oh yeah, that's smart. I told my mom to do that same thing. <laughs> I did kind of feel like they spent a long time on the childbirth. I thought so too. And I wasn't sure why. I mean, the episode is titled Taloa, which is her mother's name. But the only interaction that came from Taloa was when she was born. Yeah. So I'm not real sure why. Again, it may have something to do with the making it into five episodes and changing the format a little bit. But yeah, Taloa only is born in this episode. Final thoughts. We Great need... fight scenes in episode four. It was an amazing fight sequence. Four or three? Four and three. Oh, sorry. Three. Yeah, three. Sorry. In episode three. Yeah. Matt, final thoughts? Um, We need more Echo. I, I'm excited. I really like Maya. I like that character a lot. And I think I've said this in previous episodes. They do some really interesting stuff with her down the road um, in the comics world. She's She becomes her power set uh, expands quite a bit so hopefully they'll explore that in the future in a future movie or maybe in secret wars or whatever team she ends up on if it's the thunderbolts or the young avengers i'm excited i'm i'm, I'm glad to see a native character written by by written by natives she she was originated by david mack and joe casada and i i don't believe either of them are native so it's really cool that to to see her story played out uh, on screen uh, with such with an accurate representation um, that makes me really happy to see that do you think we'll see her in the daredevil series because i know she has a big part in his story in the comics oh yeah they're yeah um i mean they kind of they revamped it when she was on hawkeye as far as like a lot of the her origin story mm-hmm. um but yeah they do tie in together quite a bit so i wouldn't be surprised if she showed up there i hope she does um they, they're kind of an item <laughs> i mean but and, mm-hmm. and, and for a minute so it'll be interesting to see if and, and there's so many cool things that they could explore with their fighting style with her being deaf and him blind and that they didn't really touch on in their fight sequence in this in episode one yeah, a lot of lot of interesting possibilities there. So yes, fingers crossed. 
yeah. shows pops up in Daredevil. I hope so. Which they're they're totally revamping that anyway. So yeah, um, yeah, for Disney Plus. Mm -hmm. We know the story between Daredevil and and Fisk isn't over. So obviously because they're both starring in that that series, but mm -hmm. I really really hope they bring Maya Lopez back soon. Well, it was surreal seeing Fisk and Maya sitting at a dinner table drinking Shasta together. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was Doctor Thunder. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of those two. You know, having worked on Reservation Dogs, I will say that all of the shows that they work on, the art department is amazing. Yeah. So if you want to appreciate some amazing art, hit pause every once in a while and look around, especially at Grandpa's shop. Some of the stuff that they mm -hmm. have poked in there is hilarious. You know, be sure to pause and read some signs and because their attention to detail is on point. It's really good. And like what's, up, just... what's on the what's on the refrigerators? Um, yeah. <laughs> you just it adds that layer that you can really appreciate. So good for them. Yeah. Well, OK, thanks for joining us as we discuss Echo episode three and four. We will catch you next time. Same Indigenous time, same Indigenous channel. Be sure to find us on the socials. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we have one Patreon subscriber. Thank you so much. Yay! And remember, don't just keep it real. Keep it real. Real Indigenous. indigenous. Uh. <laughs> That was better than the last time. <laughs> <laughs>